0: Good morning, Stone Point family and friends. We are grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, this last week, I was reading a story about uh, a gentleman named Thomas Wheeler. He was the former CEO of Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company. Uh, He told a story about when he was first married to his wife, and uh, they were going to be going on a business trip. uh, As he was an exec in the company, Uh, they were going to be taking a pretty decent journey in the car. And so as they were leaving town, they decided to pull over on the side uh, near the interstate at this local gas station. Uh, it was one of those just one pump type little local uh, stations in which he pulled in, had the attendant, filled gas, checked the oil, clean the windshield. And meanwhile, he proceeded to go in, grab him a drink, walk around uh, the gas station just to stretch his legs as he prepared for the trip. As he was doing that, he recognized that his wife was having a conversation with the gas attendant. Uh, they seemed to have known each other, and it was a rather uh, lengthy and boisterous conversation in which he became intrigued. Sure enough, after he had done all his walking and stretching and getting him a drink for the trip, uh, he hopped back in the car and he looked at his wife and said, hey dear, uh, what was going on with that conversation? You seem to have known this gentleman. Uh, it looked like y'all had, had maybe had you know, some interaction in the past. And when she looked at him and she said, yes, I actually dated this guy for about a year in high school. Thomas Weaver then looks at his wife and says, Wow, dear, could you imagine that if you'd have married him, you'd be the wife of a gas attendant? Or uh, maybe it'd be something worse. And then she looked at him, clutched his arm, and says, Dear, I want you to understand something. If I'd have married him, he would be the CEO of an insurance company, and you would have been the gas attendant. See, we think about marriage, and uh, oftentimes we fail to see how we complement one another. Uh, and today, we are going to be talking about what that looks like as we are a part of our spouse's spiritual growth. With so many marriages happening in uh, our society every day, matter of fact, statistics would say 6,200 marriages per day in the U.S. alone. The idea of marriage and the sanctification of marriage and the importance of marriage is something we have to be talking about. And so today we want to spend some time educating ourselves on why marriage is important from a biblical standpoint. It's even more serious that of the 6,200 marriages that happen every single day in the U.S., half of those are likely to end in divorce if they don't have a biblical precedent for marriage. And so today we're going to spend some time thinking through what it looks like to complete one another, or in a sense to complement one another, to sanctify and help one another grow as we grow together and also grow in our walk with the Lord. You might remember uh, the late 90s movie uh, called Jerry Maguire. Uh, it has two famous uh, lines in it that everyone remembers. One of them is, show me the, yes, it's show me the money. Uh, the other one is, uh, is in the movie in, in which you would see, uh, the character uh, go to to his then uh, girlfriend and, and would say, uh, "You say that yes, you complete me." And so, if you don't remember that movie, uh, we're going to show you just a, a couple of minute clip because I want you to be reminded of that scene, uh, one of the most famous scenes uh, in the late '90s in this movie, Jerry Maguire. So, you guys, check this out. So even though we're talking about the idea of completion or complementing one another today, we're not going to be talking about it in the way that you just saw it in that movie. Uh, we are not talking about us becoming one another's soulmates. Matter of fact, we addressed that last week in uh, week one of the message series. Encourage you to go back and check that out online if you weren't here with us. But today we just want to talk about two goals of marriage. And one of them is just reminding ourselves a little bit about what we talked about last week. And that is that oneness is the goal of marriage. As we look back on the scriptures that we uh, spoke about last week in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we know that God wanted a suitable helper for Adam. And so he uh, was going to create a helper in this woman that would be called Eve. And then you see these instructions in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed." Last week, we talked about how uh, things then began to unravel in the Garden of Eden, and because of the temptation of the great serpent, uh, Adam and Eve chose to eat, and they realized that they had begun... Uh, to see not only their sin, but they were also naked and they were ashamed. And so they went and they hid themselves, they covered themselves, and there was a separation now, not only between God and uh, man, but also between man and his wife. And the idea of us uh, in marriage is to Uh, have a, a renewed mind and heart and the issue of marriage as it relates to oneness. And so the goal of our marriages is to become one. One with God, one with one another. Matter of fact, Jesus reminds us of the same precedent in Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, as he answers the question about divorce. And he just says it this way Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And so, what God has therefore joined together, let not man separate. And so we saw in that account last week, in in the account of Genesis, that men and women uh, go from having oneness with God to brokenness and shame and discontent. And we spend our lives hiding and, uh, in a sense, trying to cover up our differences in fear of being found out. Matter of fact, many of us in this room, we have the idea and the belief that I really can't share everything with my spouse or with other people because if they knew me, they really wouldn't want to be... Married to me, and so there's a lot of things from our past that uh, we have allowed the father of lies, uh, Satan himself, to use against us. And so we've buried things, and we've we've chained ourselves to the past, and we are afraid that if anyone truly knew the things that we've done, the places that we've been, or the thoughts that we have, that people would not want to be around us. And we believe that too about our spouse. But here's what I want to encourage you in, is that Jesus actually died for all sins. All the things that we've done, all the places we've been, all the unholy thoughts that we've had, or the unholy things that we've said. And we need to know that just as Jesus desired to reconcile us to His Father through His death on the cross we can also be reconciled to one another because we are ambassadors for God as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 17 through 21. And so what we want to remind ourselves is that oneness is the goal and that happens when we complement one another. And if we have freedom in Christ from our past, it means that we can totally Uh, expose ourselves before our spouse and that we can come to them and in many ways we can strip off uh, all of our differences and we can be naked and unashamed before them. We can be known and loved. And isn't that really what all of us and our society desires? That we could be known, totally transparent, authentic in every way and people would still love us. That is, is the goal of marriage. And that is what oneness really is. But in order for us to get there, we have to realize that God has given us a spouse in order to help grow us and mold us and shape us in those ways. The reason that we have a spouse is not so that we are happy, not so that we have a great life and we build an awesome home and a great future and eventually have beautiful kids and grandkids and a fantastic retirement. But God actually uses the institution of marriage to create oneness with one another, with Him, in a way that produces in us growth, sanctification, a complementing attitude that moves about in us this idea of holiness. Matter of fact, Gary Thomas said this, What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? What if we began to realize that the reason that we are married to people around, married to our spouse, uh, is so that we would grow in Christ's likeness, that we would complement one another? And so, real quickly, in order for us to move forward in the idea of oneness or the idea of uh, complementing or completing or sanctifying one another in a different way than what we saw earlier in Jerry Maguire, but in a way that biblically frames it for us, then it's important that we have a definition. And so here's the definition of complementing or completing one another. And it just is this, when we are used by God to help our spouse become more like Christ, that is the idea of sanctification that when we as a spouse help our spouse become more like God, that we are God's ambassador in that area, that we are used by him to help move and shape and mold our spouse. Matter of fact, uh, I've read uh, many years ago that one of the greatest gifts in marriage is that God gave us a full-length mirror in our spouse, And so that we can impress people outside of the home, uh, we can impress people at work, but our spouses know who we are and they can reveal things to us that no other human being on the planet can if we'll simply allow them to. If we'll have a a softened heart and we'll allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and in our spouse's life, we can uh, complement one another in ways that we grow together. And what we need to realize is that as we grow in oneness, that oneness is not something that we just say that we want. Oneness isn't just a, a scripture in the Bible that Jesus quoted or that we see in the beginning pages of our Bible, but that oneness is the goal. And if oneness is the goal, then we are to be one with, the, with, with each other wherever it is that the Lord takes us. Matter of fact, oneness isn't just to uh, show up at a a friend's house at a dinner party and to compliment one another in that way and to brag about how you're one. But oneness is something that's established in our lives, even when we are not together. I would say that oneness is is equally important uh, when we are away. And so let me ask you a question. Um, Ladies, do you represent oneness and do you compliment or complete your husband when you are out on a girl's trip or an outing? Oh, whether you've taken a trip down to South Texas or you're pampering yourself, do you compliment and complete your husband or do you tear him down? That's the idea of oneness. Gentlemen, if you're on a trip away for work and you're out of town, do the things you do and the people you hang around and the things you say, do they... Bring about completion and a complimenting spirit in your marriage? Or do they tear down the idea of marriage? Uh, Guys, what about when you're at the deer lease or you're on a hunting trip? Is what you're doing with those gentlemen, is that promoting oneness in your marriage? What about if you're at work? Uh, Is what you do in the workplace, is it promoting and complimenting Uh, the oneness of your marriage? Or is it beginning to, in some ways, dissolve or destroy the very fabric of what God intends for us to have? And that is holiness. And so God is not requiring us uh, to be happy, but to be holy. And as we grow in holiness, that means that we do so together when we're apart. It means that we do that in the bedroom. It means that we do that in our house. It means that we do it at our work. It means that we do it everywhere we go. The growth in our marriage is about holiness and complementing one another in that way. But the second thing is, is not just the goal of marriage being oneness, but that our love for one another would reflect God's love for us. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. There's this famous passage in verses 22 through 33. And I just want to read a handful of those verses in verses 25 to 27 as it talks about what it looks like to love one another well. It says this in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. And then we know that we should love our wives, but then Paul goes further and he tells us how. He says we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Paul says he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Uh, If you wanted to use the word completion there or to compliment her, you could. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, she might be holy and without blemish. The idea of love in this passage is that Jesus uh, so loved the world that he came as God's one and only son. And he did that as a demonstration of love, but not just to bring about our salvation, not just to bring us out of dark and into light, but to also bring about our growth. Or this fancy word in the church and in our Bible called sanctification. And the way that sanctification happens is that we begin to remove ourselves of the old spots and the old blemishes. And we become spotless and blameless. That we would become without fault that in a crooked and depraved world and a wicked generation that we would become holy and we would become pure and we would become like the one who saved us, namely Christ. And so the goal is for us to grow in our love for one another as a spouse because of the way God loved us. What did God do for us? He died for us to to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to make us new creations. And if we're new creations, it means that we don't look the way that we used to look. I recently had a conversation with a couple, and uh, they were mentioning about how they've, they've changed over the years. And oftentimes they look back, and uh, it's easy to think, man, I wish I had that younger version of my spouse, in which I replied, I'm so thankful that... That the man that my wife knows now is not the man that she knew 18 years ago. I'm so grateful that God has grown me in maturity not only uh, in the ways that I think about things in my own personality, but also in my spirituality, that God has moved me forward. Could you imagine uh, what it would look like as a man or a woman that if you were married uh, for now 18 or 20 or 30 years and, and the spouse that you look at is is the same version of himself as he was 15 or 20 or 30 years ago, that would be disheartening to me. Why? Because the goal of marriage is oneness and then it's growth because God loves us and we are to love one another and we are to grow in sanctification. And so how do we do that? Well, we, we realize that our love for one another just produces in us sacrifice. Love is sacrificial. Uh, Philippians 2, chapter um, 2 verses 1 through 12 is a great picture of what that looks like for us to have the attitude of Christ, to consider others better than ourselves. One of the first places that that attitude should begin is in the home, and it should begin with our spouse. Our love for our spouse should demonstrate the love of Christ for us, which is sacrificial. Just as Jesus gave himself up for the church, the bride of Christ, we should give ourselves up. For our spouses, man or woman, we should have the same attitude. And that is, how can we serve one another well? Secondly, we can see that love delights in truth. That as we grow in Christ, we know that we don't delight in perverse things or wickedness. That we would delight in the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and verse 25 help us to know that we should share the truth in love that it's important for us to share with one another the things that are really happening. That's a part of the growth process and the complementing process. Uh, I can think of many times uh, recently, but also over the years, that my wife has been truthful with me, that she has shared things uh, that I had done to either hurt her or maybe in parenting ways that she felt like I could have been harsh or uh, that I... Uh, was quick uh, to, to say something or uh, that didn't listen well. And there's so many areas that I can grow in, not only in, in the areas of a home, but also she has been instrumental in helping shape me as a minister for the gospel. Uh, that as a pastor, I've learned a lot from my wife and the way that she's willing to come alongside of me, but also the way that she edifies and builds me up, but also can l- gently and lovingly correct me when needed. And so she does that. She shares the truth with me, which begs the question, can you really love someone well and not share with them the truth? Like maybe you're in this room and and you have something uh, that's going on with your spouse and you know that you need to share it, but you're afraid that if you told them how you really felt, that it would hurt them. And listen, here's what I would say. I would say that you need to share with them the things that are going on in your heart and in your mind, but you need to do so lovingly and gently and with this goal in mind, oneness and with the love that Christ demonstrated for you. And so we need to tell them the truth, but the way we do it and the why our motive for doing it needs to come from Christ. And so we would say that you need to have wisdom and tact. Just as the way Daniel approached King Nebuchadnezzar, he did so with wisdom and tact. Wisdom is knowing what to say. It's knowing when to say it. And tact is knowing how to say it and addressing your motive for saying it. And so I encourage you to be thinking about how you love one another because love delights in truth. Love is about bringing things into the light that have remained for way too long in the dark. Jesus is light, and in Him is life. And so when you bring things to light, because Jesus isn't in the darkness, we can celebrate the life-giving things that come from such an idea. Love also sanctifies the goal of Christ dying and and giving Himself up, is that the church might be sanctified. The idea is that... That it would be with splendor and that it would be without spots or wrinkles or any other things. And so the way that we sanctify our spouses can be found in these verses. It's the idea of making one holy. It's coming alongside and being a part of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our life and our spouse's work. And so uh, as we share love sacrificially, as we delight to share the truth, it also means that we come alongside and we help them in their growth which means there's got to be a great deal of humility on both sides. It also means that we both have to be willing to listen and to learn and to seek wisdom. Love also shows itself in the way that we deal with wrongdoings. And so love does not delight in wrongdoings, but it offers forgiveness. If you are stuck in a certain place and you can't move forward together because of past hurts, regrets, pain, I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, and a myriad of other passages. Passages. The reason why is because we want to demonstrate for others the same way God demonstrated for us not only his love, not only giving up of himself, not only in the way he's sacrificial, not only the way he delights in truth, not only the way he sanctifies, but the way that he forgives. My friends, we have been given forgiven. And given grace in so many ways before our Heavenly Father through His Son Jesus, that we would be foolish not to offer forgiveness in areas that it really matters in our marriage. If we're not moving forward together, that means that we are not one. And if one of the reasons we're not is because we can't cross the bridge of forgiveness we genuinely need to begin praying and seeking our heavenly father about such an issue because we cannot claim to be his disciples if we don't love one another and we can't claim to experience divine forgiveness from our heavenly father if we hold grudges and we will not willingly forgive others including our spouse which brings about the question that if we're going to have oneness for one uh, in marriage and we're going to love one another well then what does that look like practically? How do we apply the idea of growth and sanctification and complementing one another in marriage to our own lives? And I would just say we want to use one scripture that Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica. He's encouraging the brothers and sisters there and first Thessalonians to, to love one another well, to esteem their leaders. And, and then as you look at this, he encourages them to do some things among the believers there. And so while this passage uh, is, is meant for the local church in many ways, I think that we can also apply it and use it to marriage. And so we're going to do that today. And this is what it says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 alone. And it says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Uh, the idea of admonish there is simply to instruct or to sharpen or to lovingly correct someone. Uh, there's a myriad of passages, but I want to share just a handful of verses with you real quickly so we can put our mind around this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17 says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. So the idea is that we need instruction uh, that in life because it leads to a path of holiness and life and it's life-giving when we heed the warnings and the instructions of others proverbs 27 6 says it this way faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy guys if we want somebody to help us grow and to give us counsel and to give us instruction or to sharpen us or to lovingly correct us i mean don't you really want your friend to do that I mean, you don't want to uh, have people share the truth with you in the workplace because they're out to get you. Uh, you don't want them to bring up all your faults before a council of men because they're looking uh, to conspire against you. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if the, the friend that God's given you to be one with, your spouse, would love you enough to tell you the truth in this area that, sh- that they would gently admonish you and they would tell you some of the, the warning signs? Oftentimes, you might ask the question, well, how do I do that? And I think there's a really simple tool, just very valuable, and that is, as we have conversation with our spouse, we could say, hey, what is something that I need to continue to do? What is something I do well that, that blesses you? Uh, what is something that I need to start doing? Uh, what is a way that you would really like me to help or to serve alongside of you, or maybe something I'm not aware of that I could start? How, how do I do that? What do you want me to do there? And then another great question would be Hey, what's something that I'm doing that's irritating you, that's not a blessing, that doesn't promote growth in you, that I need to stop doing? And so you need to ask that question. Can is there something I need to continue? Is there something I should start? And is there something that I need to stop because it's not a blessing? And have a great conversation about that. Why? Because Galatians chapter six, verse one, as we read uh, briefly last week, just says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So the goal is, is for us to complete one another and sanctify one another. And we do that when we restore our spouses with a spirit of gentleness. When we come alongside of them and we realize that admonishment is something we all need. Isn't it crazy to think about uh, how many of us men in this room or even women in this room, we used to play a sport. Uh, we played with a team, whether it be basketball or volleyball or football or soccer or whatever it was. And do you remember all the times that you would get yelled at? And in many ways, a coach would would correct you and it didn't seem loving at the time but you took it as loving because he would put his arm around you afterwards and then he would tell you uh, you, you should do this or she would put her arm around you and she said this is what you need to correct and for whatever reason that didn't that didn't bother us too much. It kind of set well with us because we realized that in order for us to be the best player and the best team that we all needed correction. Well, let me ask you a question. Why does that not exist in our marriages and in our churches? Why is it that when somebody tries to admonish us, someone tries to correct us, whether it be our spouse or a friend, why is it that we get so uptight about it, so angry and so frustrated? Because isn't it true that we should admonish one another? See, if we can realize that a part of completing our spouse and marriage is not about competition, it's not about competing, it's about completing. And yes, we know that as a result of Genesis 3, there's going to be some enmity and strife in our marriages. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that marriage is going to be difficult. And we realize that. But many of our marriages are so difficult because we're always one-upping one another. We're always competing against one another. And the goal is to complete one another. The goal is to sanctify, to grow one another for the purposes of holiness for our great king who loved us and gave himself up for us so that we would become more like him. Friends, that's what it looks like to admonish one another. It's to gently correct, not to fix not to control, not to fixate on their sins or to make things happen on their behalf, but to come alongside of them and say, hey, babe, this is something that you're doing that you should continue to do. It's a blessing. Hey, babe, this is something you're really good at. So keep doing that. Hey, babe, hey, this is something that if you would start doing, it'd be a blessing to me. It'd be a blessing to our family. And hey, just by the way, I love you, but there's this one area that if you'll stop doing this, hey, it would be less frustrating for not only us and as a family, but for me as a spouse, and, but also for friends. Because you do this and, and you don't realize it, but it irritates a lot of people. And say, hey, just wanted to let you know that because I love you and I want you to be more like Christ. What a blessing that could be which brings about what it looks like to encourage one another. And so if we are to admonish the idol, we're encouraging the faint-hearted. The idea about encouragement uh, could simply be this, to give support or to strengthen, to console. It's oftentimes about reminding one another what is true. Uh, The idea of helping the faint-hearted is the one uh, who oftentimes uh, is 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 weak in their faith or in many ways having a difficult time uh, getting their uh, their mind and their spirit with the Lord because they doubt him or they get discouraged easily. And so we need to encourage one another. Uh, statistics tell us that uh, marriages that encourage one another are much more likely to succeed. And you might say, well, I am encouraging. Well, here's what statistics would also say that we need to say five times more, encouraging words than we would say challenging or words that would tear down that bring about criticism. A lot of us are really good about coming alongside our spouse and saying, hey, uh, I just want to let you know uh, all the things that you're not doing well, and we don't encourage well, which brings about devastation for our marriages. Why? Because there's a lot of life in the tongue, and there's also a lot of death in the tongue. It has this incredible power, doesn't it? James 3 demonstrates that, among with other passages. Proverbs chapter 15, 1 and 2 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Hebrews three twelve and 13 says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you... An evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you want to encourage the faint-hearted, you want to encourage those that oftentimes need to be reminded, we do so in gentle, loving ways. And so you should think about how frequently you should do that. We just uh, ended Valentine's Day last weekend. Listen, if that's the only day that you write a card, that you send a gift, uh, then listen, you're not doing it frequently enough. And so you ought to be thinking about creative ways to encourage your spouse. You ought to be super specific. In times and challenges where you've got uh, moms with littles at home, you need to remind them of why being at home or being in this season of life is so important. And you need to write specifically ways that you see them making a difference, that they're fantastic moms, that they're so nurturing, that they're so caring, that they imitate Christ in the way they serve. And you need to do that specifically specifically. And then you also need to make it very personal. Uh, The idea of a personal note, uh, not some generic card that's written by the flower shop, but that you would go to the lengths of not only establishing uh, more than one or two or three days a year, but you would consistently, frequently think about how to be a blessing to your spouse. Encouragement is incredible. And then there's also the idea of help. Helping the weak. Uh, To help means just to to assist or to strongly support one another. It's the idea of Galatians chapter 2 where we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, We talked about what it looks like to so fulfill the law of Christ in our last message series a few weeks back before we began this series on marriage called One. Encourage you to go back and check that out if you would like. It was in the awe and the wonder series. But as we think about bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ, it, it is merely loving God and loving others well. And oftentimes we do that best by serving one another and helping one another. And so gentlemen, look for ways to help your wife. Maybe it's helping cook or maybe it's helping clean. Maybe it's acts of service uh, like doing laundry or folding clothes, which if I confess to you, are a few things I don't really enjoy doing. But in order to help my wife, I'm willing to hop in and be a part of that. Uh, ladies, maybe in some ways it's helping uh, one another and even your, your husband uh, to avoid temptation, uh, to set up some, some solid boundaries about what it looks like to honor you with their eyes and uh, with their minds and with their time. It's about carving out one uh, time for one another. It's about knowing that we are to help bear one another's burdens. And so what does it look like to talk through ways that maybe we're struggling in our faith, that we need to grow? Those are really important. And the last thing is, is that we should just be patient. Patient with all. Listen, the idea of growing together in Christ takes time. It is a process. And I know a lot of us, we wish that we were further along in our faith, further along and studying God's Word, further along and knowing how to apply it. But the reality is, is that all of us are on journeys and all of our journeys look a little bit different. But we should be patient with one another. And so if we're going to admonish the idol, if we're going uh, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, we've got to be patient with one another. And patience is demonstrated by the way that God loves us. And patience is difficult. But we need to remind ourselves That becoming like Christ is the goal and becoming like Christ is never complete on this side of heaven. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so though I want to be God's man and I'm working towards that end, I am not going to be all that God has for me until I see him face to face. But as I begin to be God's man and I grow in him every day, friends, I can't do that without the help of my spouse who knows me more intimately than anyone else on the planet. And if she doesn't encourage me, if she doesn't help me, if she doesn't sometimes gently admonish me, and by and large, if she's not patient with me, then it can bring contention and strife and competition. And that's not the goal. Why? Because marriage is already difficult enough. Matter of fact, a guy named Robert Keeler said this, marriage is like twirling a baton. It's like turning handstands. It's like eating with chopsticks. It looks easy until you try it. See, marriage is so hard and and it's a challenge, but it does teach us loyalty and forbearance and self-control. And marriage teaches a whole lot of other qualities that we wouldn't have to have if we would have stayed single. But because we chose to marry and because marriage is hard, as Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians 7, we have to grow in our marriage towards one another in oneness, but most of all in holiness as we become God's man and God's woman. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to not compete with one another, but you would help us to complete one another. That we would complement one another, that we would help one another grow in the Lord, and that we would do so in the way that we love one another, that the goal is oneness, and the goal is to love others the way that you have loved us. And so I pray that you would teach us the characteristics of our great God demonstrated for us in your love, that you would send your one and only son for filthy, wretched people like us. And Lord, I would just say, as Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, I know there is nothing good that lives in me apart from Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And thank you for a wife who is gentle, who is kind, who is loving, who is patient, who is willing to speak the truth to me in love and does so so that I can be God's man and that I am never removed from being a witness in the world, and that I'm never having to be removed from being your equipper within the local church because of things that I don't do well in the home. And so, Lord, help me in that area. Lead us, guide us, shape us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.